Hello and welcome to Rightly Dividing the Word of Truth program and podcast. I'm Lawrence, registered missionary evangelist, and I have a message again today that I think is current for our troubled times. The message is entitled, It is God's Fault, They Say. Now that statement to some may seem a little disingenuous, but I assure you I meant no disrespect by my approach, which you will see as we get into the message. The Word of God plainly warns us and has been warning us for some time that in these last days there will be an acceleration of wickedness by the human race. The Lord Jesus himself told us that it would be like the days of Noah just before the great flood and Lot's day when God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities of the plains with fire and brimstone because of their great sin. And his word is very clear also that in these last days, False teachers, false pastors, prophets, false Christ would come and deceive many and devour the flock. Not devour them so much physically, but we will devour them with false teachings. Now let us get into the message. As I said, it's called, Now It's God's Fault, they say, or so says the radical woke church. I knew that when the charismatic movement came along, that we were in for a wild ride on the false teaching roller coaster with a lot of ups and downs. But I never dreamed, though I learned a long time ago, not to underestimate estimate the cunningness of our arch enemy Satan. But I just could not imagine this movement morphing into such a system of, of absurdness and unbelievable teachings as what the woke pastors are today teaching to their woke disciples. But why do we not think that the woke church's idea of blaming God for all that is taking place wouldn't be coming next when we have the highest church leader in the world, the Pope, teaching that Jesus failed in his work? And I quote him verbatim, Jesus Christ and his life, humanly speaking, ended in failure, the failure of the cross. What did they think that Christ came for, just to be abused by the Pharisees? Mr. Francis seems to think that the work of, the, of Christ on the cross was somehow a failure. If that be the case, the whole world, I say, then still lies in their sins, and there is and never will be any salvation. Like Paul, as he was writing to the Corinthians about the resurrection in 1 Corinthians 15, 13, and 14, he said, if there be no resurrection from the dead, then Christ is not raised. And if Christ be not risen, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. If I believed what Rome teaches, I could never sing the song, Jesus Never Fails. To say that Jesus failed is to say God failed in the great salvation plan of redemption. That is strange coming from such a so-called prestigious churchman. I directly remember Jesus saying from off the cross in John 19 and 30, it is finished. What was finished? I'll tell you what was finished. His work in stripping control and power from Satan. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 14 tells us that through death he might destroy him that hath the power of death, that is the devil. That does not seem like failure to me. His work 
in the flesh on the cross, reconciled us to God, Ephesians 2.16. Gave us access to God, verse 18. Gave us peace with God, Colossians 1 and 20. And it blotted out our sins, Colossians 2.14. And preaching of the cross, the Bible tells us, is the power of God unto salvation. That's only to name a few of the things that Christ accomplished by his death on the cross. We see Satan's fingerprints of inspiration all over this idea that it is God's fault. Now I want you to see something the woke pastors and their woke sheep are both lamenting. See them now standing with their fingers pointed toward heaven, boldly declaring in the face of God, and I quote, why did I let God take away my guilt and shame? Just what do they mean by this statement? And what guilt and shame? What do these people with the deranged soul syndrome mean? Are they speaking of the guilt and shame that Christ bore at Calvary for the sins of the world? And because of that, now our sin and shame is gone. Because of that act on the tree, our guilt and shame has been washed away by his blood. Is that what they mean? But thanks to God, that can never be reversed by man or devil or some person with a guilt complex that thinks his internalized racism and white fragility when dealt with somehow equates to the work of Jesus Christ on the cross and will atone for his acts or even thoughts of racism. To me, that is narcissism in its most grotesque form. He's coming to grips with and confessing his pent-up feelings of whiteness will never free his twisted mind from its torments. Christ's blood and that alone can wash us white as snow. Isaiah chapter 1 verse 18 says, And I make no apologies for my use of the simile, white as snow. Now let us look at the whole scenario this poor misguided soul has put for us in these next few paragraphs. Now, through the, though the statements that I'm going to be speaking to you for a little while here are brief. They speak volumes about where we are today and how the master deceiver Satan has deceived the masses. The setting of our scene is, Pennsylvania, uh, is, is Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And it's in this city named Brotherly Love there seems to be a shortage of shame as if in a world of fallen men that could be possible. There is to be put forth by the apostate church now an event called a lament for racial justice. That's what they call it. And I, I read the article and it said it was a lament for racial, racial justice that the woke church is going to be put on. This event is being sponsored by the white congregation at the Spirit Justice Church of Pennsylvania. But I warn you at the start that this event is about as anti-Christian as one could get involved in for someone calling themselves a church. Now what the alleged Christian <coughs> at the Spirit Justice Church are praying for is this. Now listen to me. They are praying that God would give them back some, if not all of their shame that they had lost at salvation. Not wanting to appear hypocritical, they would then lament, they could then lament appropriately. That's what the article said. They could lament appropriately at the event. But they needed their shame back to be able to do that. 
To me, the very idea of reversing one's salvation, at least in part so that they can be washed anew in their own sin and shame, is surely one for the books and borders on extreme stupidity. Now, on the subject of stupidity, I quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer, 1906 to 1945. This is what he says about stupidity. Stupidity is a more dangerous enemy of the good than malice. One may protest against evil. It can be exposed and, if need be, prevented by use of force. Evil always carries within itself the germ of its own subversion in that it leaves behind in human beings at least a sense of unease. Against stupidity, he says, we are defenseless. Neither protests nor the use of force accomplishes anything here. Reasons fall on deaf ears. Facts that contradict one's prejudgment simply need not be believed. In such cases, the stupid person even becomes critical, and when facts are irrefutable, they are just pushed aside as inconsequential, as incidental. In all of this, the stupid person, in contrast to the malicious one, is utterly self-satisfied, and being easily irritated becomes dangerous by going on the attack. For that reason, greater caution is called for when dealing with a stupid person than with a malicious one. Never again will we try to persuade the stupid person with reasons, for it is senseless and dangerous. This is what we have, my brothers and sisters, in the woke movement today is something purely plain and simple stupidity. Now what they are alleging is that salvation to them is not only being washed in the blood of Jesus, which to them, and I want to emphasize it, which to them is incidental. While their own works of repentance is lamenting their whiteness and social privilege, all the while thinking that their act of being ashamed will better atone for them than what God did on the cross, which they are lamenting for God to reverse it. We hear a lot about reparations today, but this is what I call reparations in shame. You have in the city of brotherly love the very cradle of Americans' independence, where the Constitution of the United States was signed, the home of William Penn and the Liberty Bell at Independence Hall. Now you have the far distant, let me say that again, you now have the far distant offspring, that's offspring, that means children. You have the far distant offspring of slave owners condescending to try and redeem the far distant, now again I say the far distant, far distant means a long ways off, a long time ago. You have the long time ago offsprings of slaves, not not offsprings of a long time ago, but offsprings now, but the slaves were a long time ago uh, of trying to redeem the offsprings, the long-ago offsprings of slaves, and trying to do it through great acts of self-contrition and shamefulness. And because of the present state of affairs in America today, as they perceive it, they are frustrated because they have no idea how to go about the redemption process. 
Now, I could give them one good idea <coughs> that would work best at remedying the situation if they really wanted to make atonement for their great sin of being born white. They could find a person of color. Now, that person of color is a phrase that the woke left in America has coined. I never understood what it meant because I thought every color was a color, but undoubtedly some colors are not a color. But a person of color and, and impart to that person or persons all their possessions, everything that they own, take it and find you someone and give them everything you got and then for, and, and give them everything you've got and promise them not only everything you have now, but promising them everything you're going to have in the foreseeable future. And furthermore, I suggest that you donate yourselves for the remainder of your lives as domestic servants to that person. That would answer the, the woke problems, redemption problem. If they were really serious and not, as I suspect, only wanting to give lip service for their great evil. For you see, it is much easier to just be ashamed than to part with one's worldly possessions, as we see in the book of Luke, chapter 18, verse 18, as Jesus confronts the rich young ruler that came to him and said to him, Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus told him what he had to do to inherit eternal life, and the, and the Bible said that the rich young ruler said, well, I've done all of this. I've, I've kept the law. I've done this. I've done all of these things. And Jesus said to him, one thing you still like, he said, take all of your possessions, go and sell them and give them to the poor. You see, Jesus knew what his real problem was. It was his possessions and parting with them. He was following Jesus his question to Jesus was only lip service. His giving up his goods was another question. So if you really want to make an atonement, you don't have to just be ashamed. You can impart your goods to, to uh, a, a people of color. Now here we have a person named Marvin Fraud Wrinkles. I suppose that is his real name for a person that prays for God to give him back his shame and guilt he lost would be most would be a would would be a name that would be most appropriate for such a fraud. Now Marvin is one of the Spirit Justice Church members. I quote Marvin where he says, "I have so much to feel ashamed for. I'm white." Yes, Marvin, I agree with you. You do have a lot to be ashamed for, but not for that in which you had no choice. Your real shame, Marvin, is that you have denied the work of Christ, God's Son, and have belittled and trampled His precious blood under your feet. Hebrews chapter 6, verses 4, 5, and 6 tell us, For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened have tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost <coughs> and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come and if they fall away to renew them again under repentance, seeing they crucify to themselves the Son of God afresh and put him to an awful shame. 
Marvin, that's what you have to be ashamed of. That's what the woke pastors and the church woke church has to be ashamed of, uh, that they crucify the Son of God afresh and put him to an open shame. Marvin says again, <coughs> and I quote, I'm white. I live in a system of white supremacy. I have been guilty of being colorblind. I benefit from privilege. And the list goes on and on as Marvin and thousands like him bloviate their recitation of repentance but never really ever do anything constructive about it. My question at this point is, what is it that all of these false pastors are preaching to these people that have them on the brink of a mental breakdown over their destitution of shame as they lament their enormous wealth and arrogant pomp. Hear their mournful lamentations. Why did I let God take away my guilt? And while you ponder these words, why did I let? Let me make an observation here. This is Marvin's real deep-seated problem with his soul. You see, Marvin is a humanist at heart, disguised as a Christian. For from his remarks, we learn that he thinks he is above God and everything is for the benefit of Marvin. Then Marvin himself admits that where all of this is coming from, for when he makes this statement, my guilt and shame are so necessary to achieve racial utopia and class equity. Now that's Marvin's statement and he's telling you where this all comes from. He then goes on to say that after this statement, my guilt and shame are so necessary to achieve racial utopia and class equity according to my pastor's sermons. Now here's the problem with Marvin's crisis. It's because of what Marvin's been eating. He says that his guilt and shame are necessary to achieve racial utopia and class equity. All it takes is for a little bit of guilt and shame, the pastor is telling uh, uh, Marvin here he's in his sermons. And so Marvin is, is, thinks he has an answer for his dilemma and the problem that he's in about his shame. Here we would have a very sad picture if not for the blasphemy against God. The phrase again, why did I let? Marvin now bows his head, not out of reference, but his great shame, and does the unthinkable and prays his prayer, and I quote, Please, God, please stop contributing to this invisible system of oppression. Now Marvin has enlightened the rest of us on who is behind all the problems in our world today. It's God's fault. Now we all know because of the woke pastor who is to blame. The woke pastor has now notified us that it's God's fault, of course. And Marvin as good as told us that. God's to blame. The woke Christian thinks, or better should I say the woke, past, woke Christians have been made to think because of the woke sermons of their pastors that all the world's woes Crime, wars, death, sickness, and most important of all, 
Marvin's loss of shame and guilt that without he can never be at peace is God's fault. It has to be. It could not be man's fault, could it? No. And Marvin desperately needs that shame that God has so cruelly taken from him so he can start, as he says, to deal with his internalized racism and white fragility. I am not making this up as I go along. It is Marvin's own words. Now let us proceed. Fraud Winkle, after confronting his dilemma, is convicted and now presents himself to his sociology pastor at his apostate spirit justice church. And now his pastor tells him, Marvin, you are washed anew. That phrase must mean a return from salvation. You've been saved from salvation, Marvin. Kind of like, you know, back to the future. What great joy, now Marvin declares. And he says, I have been unborn again, rewashed back to my appropriate state of shame. This woke church member is in full rewind mode. But the absurdity gets even deeper. Marvin, the woke Christian, now proceeds to the next level in his walk of shame. Marvin goes to his second pastor. This He's called the de- dismantling pastor for a little more uh, shame washing. And when finally to the high priest himself, that is over the Spirit Justice Church campus, you know the one who greets everybody from the big screen. His title is the Creating Space Pastor. Now, that may sound strange to you, but the term creating spaces, when you think about it mentally, means acknowledging things up front, you know, like Marvin did. I've, I've lost my guilt. I've lost my shame. God's taken it away, and I want it back. And so, uh, Marvin acknowledges right up front what his problem is. He can't deal with his racism because he's lost his shame and his guilt. And so he has created a, a, a space mentally by addressing his problem, acknowledging his problem, and then addressing his problems rationally. What that meant for Marvin was that he had reached the state of radical thinking perfection or racial thinking perfection and was delivered from his internalized racism and white fragility. Now, with the approval of Marvin's three-headed pastor, he now has a distinct privilege of attending the Sunday morning lamentable Lamentational, lamental, I'm sorry, I can't pronounce it. The lamentable, lamentational services. Wow, he now can go in with the big people. Now, my spiritual sources tell me that the church's worship pastor, number one or number four, and his woke praise team is also rewriting all the old lyrics to incorporate shame back into his songs. After he repented and was full of shame for removing them in the first place. Now in closing, let me say, to some this may seem like satire. 
but I call it one of the doctrinal positions and tenets of work, not faith, but tenets of work of the woke church. You're going to hear more about the woke church every day because the whole entire charismatic movement is be, is becoming woke. And my supposition is this, that this is just the first look into this doctrine with more coming, into this new gospel of the charismatic movement that has changed its name to the woke movement. And this is what the apostate harlot system will be spewing everywhere soon and will be the theological thinking of the woke pastor and his disciples from here on out. May we preachers of the gospel of Christ preach truth, warn men in these last days while we still have a society in America that has not gone completely political corrupt mad with their slobbering love affair with the new world order that Marvin and others like him have perceived in their minds to be one world you to be in our, to be a one world utopia that is coming now in conclusion from here on out the religious world will fully express in their actions and thoughts this text Ephesians chapter 4 verse 14 this will be their state. This will be their actions. They will be tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lay in wait to deceive. To sum it up, this text simply says, a great time of deception is here. If you'd like to receive a printed copy of this message, or any questions, please contact me at rdwtruth at yahoo.com. You may also hear this message and others on my podcast at Anchor, Apple, Spotify, Breaker, Cam, CastBox, Google, and others. I want to ask you to help me today to spread the Word of God by sharing this program with others. Thank you so much for listening. Connect with you. I pass three. Poor soul was saved. That live in this world in a house of gold and deny my God and lose my soul. Some people steal. They cheat and lie for wealth and want it will buy but don't they know on the judgment day that gold and silver will melt away I'd rather be 